to the Blackcast. I'm uh, honored to be able to devote the whole show to a conversation that I'm about to have, and I really hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit of a, a different thing than what we do week in, week out. We're actually going to have a grown-up conversation uh, with an author. I do like to do this once in a while to uh, devote an entire episode to someone who has a book out, and uh, we will speak momentarily with Sandra Sykes-Meek. She has a book called Model Marine. Joining me now is retired Marine Corps Master Sergeant Sandra Sykes-Meek, who has a novel out called Model Marine. Let me say first, welcome to the Blackcast. I'll immediately follow that up with saying thank you for your service. Thank you very much for having me, Christian. And my service is my honor. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, I know uh, Semper Fi is, uh, is what you hear Marines say all the time, but I I've always wondered if it's a little bit more of like an insider's club thing where like the rest of us didn't necessarily earn the right to say it, or if it's not disrespectful for, for us to say it, I've never quite understood. Is it, is it like, is it like for Marines or can we say that as well? Oh, I think anybody can say it. <laughs> um, when two Marines say it to each other, it may have a little heavier meaning. We say it as a matter of everyday speak, you know, sit mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, all the other <laughs> sure. types of jargon we have with each other, but you know, it holds a lot of weight. You know, and it, it's about living up to that reputation of being a Marine, um, always being faithful, you know, to our morals and our ethos. So it matters probably a little heavier between us because we have that code. But certainly anybody can say it, and I appreciate it no matter where it comes from. Well, in in light of that, uh, then I'll, I'll follow it up with a Semper Fi, uh, which I've heard a lot throughout my life. My grandfather was a Marine in World War II, and we would always go to the – he would always be riding in like an old car in the Memorial Day Parade, and we'd go to this reception afterwards at the VFW. For probably the first, I don't know, 15, maybe even more years of my life, we like always did that. So it was something that uh, I was always aware of. So it's, it's, always, it's always an honor to get to uh, speak to uh, anyone who's served, and I'm excited to talk to you about about the book, but I would actually like to start off talking a little bit about your service, you know, how long you served, and if there's any highlights you uh, would like to mention. I understand from your bio that you had two combat deployments. That's true. I served for 20 years. I joined in 1990, and I retired in 2010. I was in communications the majority of the time. Um, I did a few other things that are kind of related, but not quite. And I, I served in Iraq um, in 2004. And I served in um, the Southern Philippines, which is a combat deployment. A lot of people don't know there's a lot of, it's a hotbed of terrorist activity down there. So I was at the Joint Special Operations Task Force, Jesota, Philippines. That was probably one of the highlights of my experience. It was an opportunity to get to work with some of the other services and special operations folks. And so that, that was definitely one of the more enjoyable experiences. And even... Even my deployment to Iraq, the Marines I served with in Iraq, I probably have some of the closest bonds with out of all the Marines I served with. So we keep in touch and, you know, the Marine Corps is like a family anyway, but it's really special when you spend time, you know, on combat deployments with people. One of my friends from high school, my friend Adam, is a Marine aviator, and uh, he's had a, he'd had a couple of deployments uh, before he started, you know, doing some more, you know, flying domestically and you know testing out fancy expensive planes that you know cost more than you, myself, or anyone listening to this will make in a year. You know that sort of that sort of work. But and I've always <laughs> seen how close he was, and uh, you know I I went to his wedding, and uh, that that was very much on display there, and. 
complete tangent uh, as uh, something that I thought you might appreciate because, as I mentioned, he was a Marine aviator. He still is. And uh, there was one thing that they told the DJ under no circumstances are you to play Danger Zone from Top Gun. And... uh, (laughs) Of course, the DJ thought it would be funny and played it anyway. So, um. <laughs> so, and I remember I was talking to him and he's like, uh, hang on, I have to go kill the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it was one of his buddies who had uh, had known that he really didn't want it. And he uh, he paid the guy to do it. So anyway, that's just a little. Not uh, little not those kind of things. You know, you're not supposed to tell people what they're not supposed to do because that's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, mine was much more broad. At my wedding, I was like no cold play. And uh, but I had a band anyway. So uh, it, it was a little bit easier. Um, I, and if you could take a minute and just explain what the, the rank of Marine Corps Master Sergeant, like what that actually means, maybe some of the responsibilities you know, where Mar- Master Sergeant might fall in terms of ranks, you know, things that we hear that we're all familiar with, like captains and admirals and things, sort of what does that rank mean? So the entire military, they have progression through two main channels. You're either enlisted, which means you join typically without having gone to college straight out of high school, or you're an officer, which means you typically join the military right after you get your college degree. So the enlisted ranks, they progress E1 through E9, and the officer ranks do the same. But on the enlisted side, that's what I'll describe. I progress to an E8, which is master sergeant, E8 and E9 in the Marine Corps, they fork into two different types of um, duties. The um, master sergeant and master gunnery sergeant, E8 and E9 ranks, they stay within your job specialty or as we refer to it, your MOS, and the E8 and E9 first sergeant and sergeant major, they are the administrative channels. They end up being with the commanding officers of a company, a battalion, a wing, a division. You know, as they progress, they get more senior commands that they, or officers that they serve with. So I went, I stayed in my occupational specialty And I was a master sergeant. When I began, I was in telecommunications, um, which turned into data communications, which is basically networking. You know, I got all those letters like MCSE and stuff like that. (laughs) And then um, as a master sergeant, I became a communications chief. And so the Marines who were in my section were Marines who did radio, data, uh, telephone, um, all different kinds of communications. So that that answers your question. Yeah. Let me know, but I was in the enlisted ranks, and I got to E eight out of E nine. That sort of explains that. And uh, just to backtrack for a second, what you had said about the Philippines, I like to consider myself someone who's you know fairly well read and decently up to date on things. And I actually had no idea that, as you referenced, the southern Philippines was kind of this hotbed for. I, guess, I think you said terrorist activity or, or sort of, I, I literally had no idea that that was uh, something that was going on in that corner of the world. Um, yes, I honestly, until um, I was put in this billet to go there, I didn't know about it either. And, you know, that's after, you know, a lot of years of <laughs> getting extra briefs on, you know, things happening operationally. I didn't realize it was quite what it was until I got there either. So I think that's a pretty normal thing. There's, you know, you don't hear about it on the news. You you have to 
really look for it to know about it, I think. Uh, in the uh, bio that comes along with the book uh, that I received, uh, it says that you have a Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing. Now, did that happen concurrently with your service, or is that something you did after you retired? I started in my last year of retirement, and I got my degree um, a couple years after I retired. And that was just me pursuing what I really wanted to do my entire life. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was obviously young and it was straight out of high school. And I really, you know how it is when you're that age, you really don't always know what you want to do with yourself. So I joined the Marine Corps and for years, I just thought I would just, you know, the Marine Corps gave me this great job that is very marketable whenever I decide to get out. And, you know, I should just be happy doing that. And, you know, there were a few things that happened specifically when 9-11 happened. It was um, a real wake-up call for me that life is too short and we need to be doing things that we really love if we're going to spend our days doing that, right? You need to be doing something you really love doing. And so that was about the time I had been working on my degree, my bachelor's degree at the time um, in information systems management. And I switched my degree, my bachelor's degree to English and got the computer studies minor. And I decided that I was going to go after the MFA and I'm going to you know, try my hand at writing. And if I could make a living from writing, I would. And if not, then I was at least going to be able to say that I tried. Yeah, which I think is is one of those things that a lot of people, they they wish they at least try something like that. Now, did writing this book in particular come out of sort of that creative writing process? Or uh, is that something that uh, came to you separately from that? So this is actually my thesis for my degree. But I am the type of personality that I love to work. I think you could describe me as a type A. <laughs> and so when I retired from the Marine Corps, I had just started the master's program and I didn't work for a while. And I was just, just doing the master's program and, you know, really enjoying and embracing being a mom, packing lunches for my kids and taking them to school and all those things I didn't really get to do when I was on active duty. But there was a period I did that for almost a year. And then one day I just woke up and I said, I can't do this. <laughs> I have to work. <laughs> I have to work. So I got back into the workforce and actually found something, doing something similar to what I used to do. So I used to be more, you know, if calm was down, I was getting a phone call. I was a subject matter expert. I was getting called. Um, and now I'm just doing, I'm doing project management in the same area. And I really enjoy that work. It suits me, it make, and it makes me feel like I'm, I'm still serving, because I'm um, supporting the Department of the Navy in my projects. And so, yes, to answer your question, the book it was my thesis for my master's degree. But by the time I got my degree, I was entrenched in the workforce, and I knew that my, my I wasn't ready to publish it. I wasn't ready with where, like I got it just good enough to get, you know, to meet my graduation requirements. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. And there, there was no way I was letting it go at that point. So, so after you graduated, you, you kept at it and that's what ultimately became the novel model Marine. Yes, but not initially. It sat on a shelf for about five years. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I, I am one of those people. I just woke, wake up and say, I have to do such and such and whatever. <laughs> and so I woke up, in 2017, I said, I have to fin finish my book, and I worked on it pretty manically, you know, <laughs> sure. uh, weekends, 
mornings, every chance I got until I, I was ready um, for it to greet the world. Yeah, I wonder how many potential, you know, great novels or books of various kinds, you know, are half finished sitting on someone's shelf somewhere and, uh, you know, they may or may not ever get to it. You know, I think uh, I think a lot of us can relate to that. How much of the novel is based on your personal experience? I mean, obviously all of it, and we'll go through the story in a moment, but all of it would be informed by your personal experience. But are there things in the book that are based on actual things that happened in your life? If I were to say how much of the book is based on what happened in my life, I could say maybe 15 or 20% of it. Sure. Most of it is fiction. The jobs of all the Marines in the story are, you know, not jobs that I held. The, the actions of the characters are, you know, not actions that, I mean, they're, they're just things I made up. So I would say what is real is there are some flashbacks from the main character's childhood that are loosely based on things that happened to me or someone I knew in my lifetime. And there is one particular flashback about um, watching an angel flight. Sometimes they're called hero flights. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Yes, but, I have. So there's a flight where they, where they take the, the deceased back to the States or to another location and country to be prepared for sending home. Yes, the angel flight flashback was something based on one of my memories. And to this day, you know, I've, I've had a few readings, you know, with a book, and that's just one of the things I can't read um, uh, out loud. It gets me every time. I, I mean, I, so, I, I can only imagine that uh, how difficult the, that would be. Now, the uh, main character in the book, Molly Monroe, is uh, named after the Marine Corps icon Molly Marine. And before we kind of dive into the story, let's kind of talk about the relevance of, I was impressed to see that it's been a hundred years since the first woman joined the Marine Corps, just because, I don't know, you don't think of the world in 1918 being progressive like that. And I mean, the lower letter P, progressive, not the way that people throw the word around down, just, you know, it's, women couldn't vote in 1918. So the idea that they were in the Marine Corps at that point, that's fascinating to me. Right. Well, you know, I believe the initial um, posters were free a man to fight. So they were joining to do administrative duties at home or, sure. you know, on the home front so that more men could go and, you know, actually fight in the war. So yeah, I yes. guess it's a, it's a similar idea as, as who we always see Rosie the Riveter from World War II, which was like, well, ladies, if you go and work in the factory, that's more men that can go and fight. So uh, I, I, I see maybe not necessarily a parallel, but it seems like a kind of a similar figure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I heard about Ophame Johnson and all these different historical figures when I was in boot camp and at different times in the Marine Corps, but I didn't even, I didn't know it. I didn't connect it, I should say, even though I learned those dates a long time ago. I didn't connect it even when I was about to publish my book. It wasn't until the Women Marines Association really started getting the word out about the 100 years. And I thought, wow, what a historic time to be doing this. So it wasn't planned for me that way. <laughs> it's just, it just one of those, uh, you know, happy coincidences, you know, almost uh, it, it was it was destined to be that this was the year that the book was published. Uh, let's talk about Molly Monroe now. Now, when the book starts, she's someone who has her uh, future planned out for her, but uh, makes a little bit of an impulsive decision. So just kind of start from there. So I have to start by saying that 
the book is not chronological at all. Okay. I feel, I feel like I took this kind of big chance um, with the way I wrote it. The Model Marine, it's a novel about love, war, loss, and trauma. And I wrote it in a, in a fragmented narration that's modeled after the traumatic experiences described in the story. I see. So, and I, I know one of the things that, you know, because uh, as, as I told you before we started, I, uh, I apologize for not having time to read it. But what I do know is that different passages are from the perspective of different characters. And, you know, if their character's name is going to be the top of that passage, you know that that's that person's point of view. So before we talk about Molly, if you want to kind of talk about that process, uh, that I think that would be interesting to the audience. So when I first started writing this, I was writing it chronologically, and I also was writing it in the first-person perspective. And I got about, um, I want to say about 30 or 40 pages in, and I, I just knew that that wasn't going to work for this story because the message, I don't want to say the messages because I didn't really, I didn't have any agenda, but the themes that I wanted to be carried throughout this novel, I felt like they needed to come from multiple voices. They needed to come from male Marines. They needed to come from women Marines. They needed to come from family members and friends, people who love these service members who go and make these big sacrifices. It's not just the service member who's making the sacrifice. It's the family members who are as well. And so I realized that the story needed to be told from multiple perspectives. So the characters in this book, these characters, when they started, they were specific Marines. I served with in my head and then they began taking shape as their own person because the characters were doing things. I was writing them to do things that um, were different from the characters that they were initially modeled after. And then some of my characters, there are a couple of different types, but you know, the women Marines, I've got Molly Monroe. She's the I idealist. She's very patriotic. She wants to carry her weight. She just wants to prove herself. And then, you know, I've got Ramirez, she's the cynic, and, you know, she kind of laughs off and, you know, she smokes, she's a little crass and she's a, your typical Marine, in my opinion. And then um, I have Baptiste and she's like the spiritual one among them who's always trying to comfort or set them on the right path. And so those are the composites of the women in the story, the, the women Marines, that is, and then the male Marines. There's Sergeant Hicks, and he's really easy to not like because he's he's a grunt. He's in the infantry, and he's all about, you know, mission. He doesn't care if he hurts your feelings, and he doesn't really think Molly should be doing what she's doing with their missions. And so <laughs> there's a little bit of conflict. There's a little bit of um, – there's a love triangle, and I haven't even gotten to that part yet. But <laughs> basically, all the different kinds of versions of Marines that you would run into – in the Marine Corps, they're in the book. And I wanted them to all be empathetic. I wanted them to all be relatable and the reader to be able to relate to them and understand the different perspectives. So that's why it bounces from character to character. And I also feel like a lot of our perceptions of the truth, we think are strictly black and white, as in the truth is just a solid thing that it's non-changeable. But, but depending on where you see an event, where your, your vantage point is, the truth can change depending on the vantage point. And I just felt like that was something else I wanted to, 
come across. So that was necessary for the alternating characters. Yeah, obviously one person's truth is very true to them, but it, it could very well not be the way something perspective to sort of simplify it onto such a smaller scale. But like when you see replays in sports, you see with the one angle where you're like, well, that looks like that. But then you're like, oh, but look at this other angle where you see the white line over here. And then, you know, it's just like, well, if you're looking this way, it looks like that. So, you know, I would imagine that on, you know, a much grander scale, that sort of thing, uh, everybody has something different. One of the things you referenced was what Molly's doing. And what I know is that she's what you call a combat camera marine. Can you talk about a little bit about what that is, and I would assume, of course, that that's a, a real position that you must have encountered at some point during your service. I don't believe they're called that anymore. I was recently told since that since I've gotten out that they aren't called combat camera anymore, and I can't remember what they are called. But it's probably something with social media in the name now, because you know nobody needs cameras anymore. You know, they're they're like uh, you know first sergeant of tweeting or something. <laughs> There you go. No, so combat camera, they're just they're just basically the journalists and they could be stationed in the States and still be combat camera, but they're the ones that take the pictures and write the stories of what's going on wherever they are stationed. And so combat camera and my story is obviously about the Marines who are journalists in country on a deployment. And, you know, just like civilian journalists like to go and be right in the middle of the action. Oliver North comes to mind. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're they basically embedded and they're, they're just trying to document through pictures and stories what's happening in country. I chose that MOS because I thought it was relevant to the themes of image. And, you know, the main character was a model when she was young, you know, before she joined the Marine Corps. And face, you know, what people see and perception and all of that is tied into the camera, the lens of the camera. And so I cho that's why I chose that MOS for this character. And you sort of referenced her past before her service. And what I do know about her is that uh, she kind of impulsively decides to join the Marine Corps, despite the fact that it seemed like she was on a very different path. And I guess that doesn't necessarily go well with uh, the people in her life, right? Right. So she was raised by her mother and her older brother. Her father was a police officer, and he died when she was quite young. And the mother, she resented her husband's job because that's why he died. And um, she didn't want Molly to do something, you know, to go on a path of wearing a uniform. She wanted her to stick to what she thought she belonged in, which was acting and drama and, you know, her plans for going to the North Carolina School of the Arts. And she thought that Molly was on board with that. And Molly may have been on board with that when she was young. But after high school, um, she experienced something quite traumatic. And it set her off in a different state of mind. She, she didn't want to be a victim. And she felt like she had become a victim. So she did the most drastic thing she could do because she wanted to be stronger. She wanted to feel worthwhile. You know, a lot of things that motivate young people, not necessarily everyone, you know, joins because of trauma of any sort, but, you know, the reasons of wanting to, to give back, of loving your country, of wanting to do something to better yourself or make yourself feel like you're making a difference in the world. Um, those are a lot of idealistic, altruistic 
notions and that just kind of fit in with that character. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, real world problems that the book addresses. Uh, I understand that Molly's wounded during her deployment and that as you referenced earlier, it leads to sort of the fragmented way that the story is told. Uh, explain how that is really at the center of the way that uh, Model Marine uh, you know, unfolds. So Molly Monroe, she, she gets a traumatic brain injury while she's there. She actually has two back-to-back. There's an, two explosions that occur in her vicinity within 30 minutes of each other. And so she ends up... She, she gets taken back to the States and that's where the story kind of begins for the readers after the prologue or in the prologue. Um, she's in the hospital. She's talking to another Marine and she doesn't remember anything. And then, you know, the story kind of kicks off with her brother and her mother. You know, they've just recently found out about um, her injuries and, you know, they've got to get to Bethesda And it's about their experience as much as it is about Molly's. Yes, traumatic brain injury is is one of the centerpieces of the story. And as well as PTSD, as we call it, TBI, is really why I ended up writing the story the way I did. Because I didn't just want it to be a beginning-to-end story. I wanted to show readers, I wanted to give them a sense of what it feels like to lose pieces of your memory and to be that confusion that comes with not being able to remember or not be able to put the pieces together. So I wanted to make the story like a puzzle where you, you put the pieces together and by the end you should be able to see the whole picture, but it's quite possible there might be a few puzzle pieces missing. I knew that that was a very lofty goal <laughs> because <laughs> sure. you really stand a chance of losing a lot of readers when they don't understand what's happening, especially early on. But I would say to those readers who do pick up this book, Model Marine, that if you make it to the end, it will be worth it. it I feel like this is a story that gives veterans a familiar place, a place they recognize, characters they recognize. And I feel like it's the kind of book that gives civilian readers a greater understanding of what it's like for these military personnel when they're in the combat zone. It's just a human interest piece, in my opinion. You know, it's about relationships. It's about how we deal with the ugliness of war. It's about how we bounce back. Yeah, I'm sure that while you were writing it, you were very mindful to sort of maintain the authenticity for your service, as you referenced, for how people would read it. But uh, at the same time, I'm sure that there was some kind of effort that, you know, civilian readers, you know, like myself, you could probably not be more civilian than I am, but you wouldn't want us to feel in the dark. Did you do anything like have someone who maybe hadn't served uh, read it and anything that they put a big question mark next to you, you thought maybe you would explain or did you do anything like that? Repeatedly. I had to because especially when I first started writing this book, I was still in the, the master's program and I was for all purposes, I would have to say that I was still on active duty in my head, but I was retired. And when you've been in the military that long, you think, sleep, and breathe jargon. <laughs> and you don't, you're not even aware of how much jargon exists in your vocabulary until people look at you cross-eyed. So yes, I did that a lot in my master's program. And then again, 
after I had decided to publish and I did a lot of um, modifications to the book. I sent it through friends and family who had not served and I got a lot of that. <laughs> Circles and question mark. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. So, absolutely. Well, we've talked about a lot of the important themes and messages of it, but uh, one of the things you touched on that could be a little bit lighter, but obviously it might not. But uh, tell us a little bit about there's a love triangle you mentioned. So there is a love triangle. There's a collision of past and present that occurs in Afghanistan. She joined the Marine Corps. Like she chose the Marine Corps because she was dating someone who was going into the Marine Corps. And she was so impressed by all the things that he told her about the Marine Corps that when she made the decision to join the military, that's why she chose the Marine Corps. What she didn't understand is that he was an officer and she enlisted. And in the Marine Corps, that's called fraternization. And officers and enlisted aren't allowed to have relationships. So she joins the Marine Corps. When she finally tells him that she was shipping, she was going to go to boot camp, he breaks up with her. Mm. And she, she doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand it all. She was thinking that she would be in South Carolina at boot camp. And he would be in North Carolina at his first duty station and everything would be just fine. But that was her idealistic, uneducated thinking, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I certainly wouldn't have known that. And, you know, right. so. it's completely, it's completely understandable. So she doesn't understand it, but she finally kind of starts getting over him and meets another Marine before she deploys to Afghanistan. And they're in the same section and they end up in Afghanistan together. And then, Oh, by the way, she runs into her ex in Afghanistan as well. So there's a little bit about that. <laughs> and then there's also a little bit about the relationship between male Marines and female Marines in the Marine Corps, which I just have to throw it out there that, you know, in my years of service, there were approximately 200,000 Marines, give or take, I'd say give or take 20,000, right, in, in my years of service, depending on, you know, we got more Marines on active duty when we were ramping up to go into conflict. So, you know, but it fluctuated. And women, and that's also fluctuated. When I was in, I was told it was at 1%, but I don't remember that. I remember wow. when it got to 6%. We were 6% of the Marine Corps most of the time, I recall being on active duty. And then I know our current commandant, wants to get up to 10% of women in the Marine Corps. But even at 10%, the number of male Marines to female Marines, it's, it's just, it's a big gap, right? And so some of the male Marines, depending on their job specialty and how much they interacted with women Marines, really could impact how they work together. Sure. <laughs> and I don't want to get into too many details, but I just want to say that the book tries to give an honest portrait of some of the friction that, that happens between male and female Marines. There, it's not demonizing the Marine Corps. It doesn't glamorize the Marine Corps. I just went into it with a, the real goal of trying to give an honest, true picture 
of what that relationship is like. Yeah, um, which I think that, that's the important thing to do is to, you know, just give the the honest portrayal of the, the way, you know, your perception is. And that's sort of what you were talking about earlier. Now, obviously, the Marine Corps is the branch of the service you were in. And I'm not asking you to know stats off the top of your head. But is that typically true in other branches of the service, sort of just the disparity of the ratio of men towards women? Or do you find that it's at least a little bit closer in, say, the Army or Navy or somewhere else? So I, I don't really know the ratios in any of the other sure. services. I know the Army is so much bigger than than the Marine Corps. I, I think the Marine Corps is the smallest of the services. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many are in the Air Force, but I know the Army is much, much larger, as well as the Navy. And I think I think it would be Army, Navy, Air Force and the Marine Corps, but I can't, I can't quote that. No, that's no, that's fine. I, I, it just, I, I feel like it probably was. And, and the reason I ask is that, and again, as a civilian, my impression of the Marine Corps, look, I would say every branch of the service is, is difficult, but the perception to a layperson like myself is that it is a little bit more difficult and maybe that's why it is a smaller force you know and i'm not trying to get you to disparage any of the other branches i don't mean it in that way but do you feel like that perception i don't feel like i'm the only person that has that perception do you think that's 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 somewhat close to accurate i think that's a an accurate perception the other branches you know they also have special ops and other areas that are a lot more regimented and difficult you know Navy SEALs come to mind, sure. that, that would be much more difficult than Marine Corps training, right? Yeah. But in the Marine Corps, every Marine is a rifleman, period. Every Marine learns to shoot. It doesn't matter what your job is. Every Marine is expected to be a rifleman, as the basic Marine. And some of the other services, at least while I was on active duty, didn't seem to have that same mindset. Their MOS or their job specialty was more important than whether or not they qualified on the rifle range. (laughs) So, yes, I think the perception is that the Marine Corps is difficult. That was certainly my perception going in. That was definitely my perception while I was on active duty. (laughs) Right. And um, that's my perception today. But, you know, all of the services, we have our friendly banter between us. So... It's fine if others disagree. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up not too far. Again, not in a military family, but uh, just geographically, West Point wasn't far from where I was from, and I, I was well aware of you know when uh, Army and Navy would play each other in any of the sports, and you know it, it would be uh, fairly, you know, light bantering. You know, I mean, not not like really hostile. It, it seemed to be like a fun opportunity. Yeah. You know, like like really like people from rival colleges. Like I live in Southern California, so it's like. Like, you know, USC and UCLA, or I'm from New York originally, like the Mets and Yankees, you know, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, well, we're better, you know. So uh, I, I'm sure that it's it's all in, in good fun when it comes to things like that. Um, one of the things I, I'm wondering is ultimately someone who finishes the book, what would you hope that they take away when they finished reading Model Marine? I hope that they would know that that we have a lot of dedicated and humble and just very patriotic people who are willing to die for a common goal. They're willing to do whatever it takes to keep our, our country safe and free. And that's the mindset of so many of the service members who join. No matter what the circumstances are, they all have a common goal. And that's to keep Americans safe from foreign enemies. And so I would want them to have, I would want readers to have a better understanding of the Marine Corps experience. I would want them to understand a little bit about 
some of the challenges that are still present with women and men in the combat environment. I think the Marine Corps does a very good job at a lot of things, but there's always room for improvement. And I did dedicate this book to the armed forces as a whole because I lost friends in other branches and this is really about the military in general, but I just, I stuck with the Marine Corps because that's what I know best. So I don't know. I don't know if I've said it enough or articulated it well, but I just want to give readers an understanding and they don't have to agree with, like, I don't expect anybody to agree with all of the characters in the story. They contradict each other sometimes. So of course you couldn't, you couldn't agree with them all, but just understanding and understanding the different perspectives I think is important. Uh, I'm sure it uh, would come across. Uh, but one of the other things I know that was important to you is that the idea of having a story that focuses on, you know, a different kind of hero, you know, not a supernatural, immortal person from the future. And look, I'm going to admit that I, I certainly like stories that have those kind of heroes. But, you know, there's great, <laughs> great books. And yeah, there's great books and movies as well. You know, I mean, in terms of financial success, uh, Lone Survivor, American Sniper, Hurt Locker, those immediately come to mind. So I think there's definitely a tremendous market for a, a story like this. Based specifically on what Molly does as a combat camera marine, me personally, as someone who's showbiz adjacent, you know, my wife's a writer for the TV show Orange is the New Black. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm in show business sometimes, even though I mostly just do, you know, podcasting and radio stuff. Uh, but to me, this sounds like something that would certainly work well as a movie. Now, is that something that you've thought about or you were just focused on getting the book out? So initially, I was just focused on getting the book out because I have studied literature and literature is important to me. And I always have lofty ambitions. And I, I was hoping that Model Marine would be a book uh, similar to the things we carried, a Tim O'Brien kind of book that, you know, mattered and that people read it and said, wow, I get that experience. But I do think that it would make a good TV or movie, a TV series or a movie um, because it's very visual. Yeah. I've had several readers tell me that it's a very visual story. And I was trying to make it a visual story. I was trying to make the reader feel like they were right there and to be able to see everything that was happening. So when I've, I've had that said to me so many times, I'm like, yeah, I could see it. I could see it on the screen. I think it, the director would have a big challenge because <laughs> it's so choppy and the, you know, it's very, it moves to a lot of different characters very quickly. So I think it would have to be modified. The, the screenplay would have to be modified a good deal. Yeah. I think, um, it's, you know, you're saying sort of as a, as a TV series or even like a limited series for TV, you know, that's the sort of thing that can work when you have so many characters, you know, you can kind of have certain episodes dedicated to maybe only one or two characters, you know, and whereas like a movie, you definitely have to have it more streamlined and organized. It seems like you're thinking all the right things about, uh, you know, how how that uh, next step can go. And obviously people can find the book on Amazon.com. Is there anywhere else where we should mention that uh, people can find the book or find out more about it, anything like that? Amazon.com is where it is, um, where you can, you can search for it and it'll come up. Um, it's in paperback, hardback, and it's a Kindle ebook. And then if people want to know more about me, I have a website, sandrasykesmeek.com. I have Instagram account, a Facebook account, a Twitter account. Instagram and Facebook are probably the most used 
and I need to get into Twitter more later, but they're, that's at Model Marine. So just look me up at Model Marine for those. If all else fails, they could send me an email, SandraSykesMeek at gmail.com. Well, and I'm very responsive to emails. Well, that's uh, that's always great to hear that, uh, you know, somebody who reads the book would actually be able to write to you. I, I would say, you know, don't get too into Twitter. It's a it's a pretty bi- it can be a pretty nasty place. You know, it's uh, the what the nice thing about <laughs> the nice thing about Instagram is that it's it's mostly visual. And, yeah, there's a lot of comments below. But, uh, you know, I uh, <laughs> you, you can get some some mentions on Twitter and, uh, you know, not saying that uh, you're, you're going to att- attract a lot of that. But uh, it, it's not hard to kind of, you know, click onto a post and go like, oh my gosh, this is a, people are uh, very mean spirited on Twitter is what I'm trying to say, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you could handle it, but uh, I like to think Instagram's a little bit nicer. Um, but let me, uh, t- I wanted to take a minute to shout out some of the uh, the accolades the book has gotten. Uh, so I read that it was a gold medal winner in the fiction lit- literary category, the 2018 Reader's Favorite Book Award Contest, uh, award winner in the military category in the 2018 American Fiction Award and a finalist in the military fiction category in the 12th annual National Indie Excellence Awards. So uh, that must feel great to sort of get those kinds of reactions to it, especially, you know, when it's in in military-specific genres, I suppose. I was um, ecstatic every time I got news of that. So I'm happy about that. I would like to see it get a lot more visibility, you know. I think a lot of people still don't know about it. Um, and I guess that's the path you choose when you self-publish, right? Sure. Uh, I felt like that gave my book credibility, and it was it was the kind of um, accolade that tells a reader, so this is well written. You know, it's it's not it's not junk because there is a lot of garbage out there right now. Well, it's sort of the, that, that's sort of the 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 good and bad about sort of the the world we live in is that you know anyone can self-publish. Anyone can release music, which is great because people who wouldn't have gotten opportunities before get a chance. But then there's there's no gatekeepers. So just kind of anything can get out there. And, uh, you know, obviously standing out, uh, I'm sure can be a little tricky. And uh, obviously I. I hope there's, a, you know, anything that uh, that I've been able to do in terms of uh, helping people, and uh, I hope that they're interested in your story. Um, one thing that I noticed on your website, you have a you have a quote from Hamlet. Is that a specific quote you like, or did you find that that is a, a story that uh, has kind of meant a lot to you in your life? Yes, that quote from Hamlet. So Hamlet's my favorite Shakespeare play, and that has just always stuck to me. And I, I don't have it memorized. I should, but I don't. Well, I have it, it in, I have it in front of me, so I'll, I'll cheat and I'll read it. Uh, if thou didst ever hold me in thy heart, absent thee from felicity a while, and in this harsh world draw thy breath in pain to tell my story, that's, uh, you know, Act 5, Scene 2. I think that's how, how they uh, write those out. Yeah, that's just such a such a rich story and you know when i was younger the way that they speak it's it's a little hard to get past but uh i do remember going to like the one theater in new york city that was showing kenneth brana did like the you know because a lot of the movies they they take stuff out they move it around but he did like the whole thing it was like the first time i ever went to a movie that there was an intermission i think it was like four hours you know so uh it's uh that one it is definitely the best one yeah it's absolutely the best one as a matter of fact I had my I had the play in front of me when I re- when I watched it on video at home, and it is for ver- it is verbatim yeah. the play. It is so good. 
It is so good. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say I absolutely agree. And uh, you know, there, there. You know, the it was a few years after the Mel Gibson one that I think a lot of people had seen, and that one inexplicably moved things around in the story. And you know, I, I still don't quite yeah. understand what the thinking was there. Uh, so yeah, it was great to kind of see it, and so many great people, like like Billy Crystal as the Grave Digger. Like it's big, great actors in really small parts. You know, I think just people were excited about it. Right. I, I definitely was. I loved it. But back to the quote, I felt like, so I have a lot of stories in various stages of completion. I've got some outlines for some stories. I've got a short story that I want to turn into a novel. I've had all these ideas, all these stories I wanted to tell, but Model Marine was the one that I had to tell first. It was the one that it was nearest and dearest to my heart because my last decade in the Marine Corps I wasn't in the combat zones a lot, but I had friends, you know, it was just the, the operational tempo was kind of crazy that last decade. And I felt like I had to tell the story. I had to write a story about that world. And that quote is how I feel about this book. I was not a happy person the whole time I was writing this book. It was very hard to write it, but I felt compelled like it was my mission. Like I had no choice. I had to write this book. And so that's why that quote is there. And it's also in the book. So that was like my mission statement. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, you reference that you have a lot of other stories in varying degrees. Are, are some of them uh, military based or was this sort of just the one? And you, do you have, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not looking to have you give away any of the ideas that you're uh, working on, but uh, in just sort of types of stories, is it a wide range or uh, do you feel like it's a little bit more focused on uh, things that you've encountered or is it crazy, you know, time traveling immortals and things like that? No, I'll tell you the truth. I love reading about time travel, immortals. I loved vampire books for a while. Sure. <laughs> I, mean, I just, I, I love all that stuff. I just, I needed to write about the kind of things that I thought were heroic and important that I saw or knew about while I was on active duty. These other stories I have, they're nothing like that. I mean, they're not, they're not supernatural or anything like that. They're just human stories, basic literary fiction. And hopefully not just not basic, but hopefully the kind of fiction that would move people. And that's what I already have written. <laughs> I've had so many of my female Marine friends tell me, hey, you need to write a series. And we've talked about, you know, writing a series, a model Marine series based, you know, based on the other characters where um, like Ramirez, one of the other female Marines is the main character and, you know, do a series that way based on the characters. But that is that wasn't my intention from the beginning. This was like my tribute to my years in the Marine Corps and my chance to tell people through entertain an entertaining way what that lifestyle is like. And that was really my only intention there. So I don't know if I'll do another military story. I will write. I will write and publish more books. Well, that's great. <laughs> when I don't know, <laughs> I'm still doing the. I'm still doing the nine to five thing. You know. Yeah, um, and I imagine but, you know juggling the the writing of this all the while with doing the nine to five, and obviously also parenting 
And uh, as you mentioned to me, I guess, before we started recording, uh, grandparenting as well. So obviously, there's a lot going on in promoting the book. You know, that takes time as well. You know, there was a, you know, it can it can take a little while to just uh, clear, you know, an hour here or there. So, uh, you know, I but the idea that, you know, you you are working towards it and you plan to write more uh, is great to hear. Um, one thing I was wondering, uh, and I only just thought of it because I'm sitting here looking at it, uh, I assume that the image on the cover of the novel is that's supposed to be Molly. Is that just an, a model that you hired? You know, no pun intended. Or is that somebody you actually knew? Or, you know, is there any connection to that person? Or did was someone just hired to be on the cover of the book? So my original book cover, I've changed book covers already, but my original book cover was just an image of the background image of Molly which is the girl in the combat uniform. Right. And then, and then the one I have has that you can see a, a, a young blonde woman in front of the, the right. combat uniform That's with right. the camera. Yeah. So the one in the background is my daughter. Oh. <laughs> and I took that picture of her in my uniform. And the one in the foreground, it's supposed, they're both supposed to be Molly, the main character. Sure. And they, I think they look a lot alike and they look like they are the same person. Well, their eyes are, their eyes are, and you know, look, I know that you can do things to sort of tweak the colors, but the eyes are uh, very similar as I'm looking at it right now. Yes, that, that was what my book cover designer did, but he, that's a stock (laughs) photo that he had access to. That's really what it boils down to. We went through a lot of, a lot of girls to get to what I was looking for, but when he came up with that one, I said, that's her. That's the girl I see in my head. Well, that's great. That's great that, that's great that he had that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so because it's, you know, the way that stock photos work, uh, this girl might not even know she's on the cover of a book right now because, you know, that's, I think that's how <laughs> stock photos work is that, you know, you sell it to like a service, you know, in a simple term, it's like the AP buys a photo, you know, and this is, is that sort of thing. So <laughs> one day she'll be like, hey, look, I'm on a book. <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, Sandra, it's uh, really been uh, delightful to talk to you, but also, uh, you know, a privilege to get to hear uh, your thoughts and uh, get to hear about the book and uh, obviously uh, best of luck with you Uh, the final question I want to ask is that I understand that you know you're originally from Florida and you lived around uh, the world around the country and you had mentioned being deployed in the Philippines is there somewhere where you just feel like this was the best place I lived and is there somewhere else where we'll be slightly a little kind and say oh, I hope I don't ever have to live there again. Are there like a best worst sort of thing or was it all just uh, about the job and you kind of went where you had to? I don't know how to answer that because I had so many bests. I loved <laughs> living in Okinawa, Japan. The downfall was it was so far away from home. Sure, yeah. It was like a four-hour ride to get back home. And then I loved San- living in San Diego, except that it was so expensive. <laughs> yes, my my friend like my, my friend I mentioned before who's in the Marines, that was where uh, that was where his wedding was, that's where he lived and uh, I think they're actually in South Carolina now. So, you know, it's uh, when you can when you can uh, start picking where you end up, uh San Diego's wonderful, but uh, not when you start to have a family and need a bigger house. That's right. And Beaufort is really nice for that. I'm living in Beaufort, South Carolina now. And although there are some things I could say about it, you know, I won't, um, (laughs) the negative, the little negative parts, I won't, um, I love it. It's, it's my favorite time of year is the summer 
we have a boat and there is nothing more beautiful than the low country on, from the boat. It's just, it's my happy place. It's, it's where I get my Zen. <laughs> so, um, I, I could say, I, I guess since we retired here, this must be my favorite place to live. Are you comfortable saying somewhere that you are, are glad that you uh, didn't end up and I'll share a, a story about it. It's a different uh, friend of mine who uh, her husband was enlisted. She wasn't, but they lived in Yuma, Arizona at one point. And once you get past the part that you could get a huge house with a pool for $60,000, Let's just say it wasn't the greatest place to go and visit friends for me, you know. So have there been places like that, that there isn't much beyond the military that, uh, you know, maybe they weren't your favorite places? Absolutely. 29 Palms, California. (laughs) I did not care for. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, how many times can you go to Joshua Tree? You know, I mean, it's 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 beautiful. But again, how many times are you going to go? And, uh, you know, like Palm Springs is nice, but I, I feel like it takes like an hour to get there because of the geography, you know, because it's there's so many mountains. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, that would probably be my least favorite place. Yeah. And, and Albany, Georgia is probably the second to 29 Palms, my least favorite place. Oh. I, so. Now, is that like just really rural? Is it like far away from like Atlanta or even like, you know? Like Athens, I know is this college town, but uh, is it pretty remote, Albany, Georgia? It's just there really wasn't much there. It, I can't say it's completely remote because you know it was it was within driving distance to Atlanta, and you know it's not too far from Valdosta and Tallahassee, not too far away. <laughs> right, there are places. You know, it's just it was just not a fun place to be. Yeah, that's the only way I know. Yeah, and sometimes um, and sometimes just proximity to other places uh, isn't enough to make a place good. I had a, a friend who moved to Wilmington, Delaware after college because he had a job at DuPont. And it was like, well, you know, New York is a couple hours away. Washington, D.C. is a couple hours away. Philly's about a half hour. But it's like everything is, is in terms of how far away other people and places you actually want to be are. So uh, I, can, I can imagine just uh, when you find out like, well, this is where I'm going to be for uh, a couple of years. And uh, I will say that my friends who lived in Yuma only lived there for a couple of years. They uh, then moved to several other places and uh, are, uh, let's just say, much happier now. Yes. I, I would say that that was um, definitely my experience as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We were very happy to to get out of some of those not so fun places. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you're you're in a great place now, and you were able to you know have a have a great job while you were also able to finish the book. And uh, again, it's called Model Marine, and I've been talking to Sandra Sykes Meek. And uh, like I said, best of luck with the book. And uh, I I do look forward to reading it. I was very embarrassed that I hadn't had the time to read it uh, ahead of the the interview, but I, I really wanted to to get it done so that I could get the word out uh, for the book, especially because you know I'll say that it'll make a great Christmas present. So for anyone uh, in your life that you think might be interested, I'll do the hard selling. You don't have to uh, cheapen yourself in that way. Uh, well. Thank you, Christian. I'm, I just want to say it's been a true pleasure talking to you, um, and I really appreciate you having me on the show, and um, I look forward to hearing your feedback after you do read the book. How about that? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will definitely do that. Well, that really was a fun conversation. I was going to call it a great conversation, but that implies that I'm a great conversationalist. Uh, but, you know, if you listen to Black Cats, obviously you know that. No, it was uh, really great to talk to her, and like I said, completely embarrassing that uh, I hadn't read the book, but uh, I let her know ahead of time. I just uh, hadn't had the time uh, last few months. 
little crazy around these parts, but uh, I do look forward to reading it. And again, the book is called Model Marine, and you can find it on Amazon, and it's self-published. So if you go to her website, sandrasykesmeek.com, you can find out more about it there. And fun little side note, off-air, it turned out that she actually knows a friend of mine fairly well. So uh, small world, uh, I guess, the Marine Corps as it is. But that's all the time we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I... And the rest of the gang will see you next time on the Blatcast. Give yourself to you and to-